Welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. Well, we're back together again. Yes, the dynamic duel. I don't know. Oh, I that, like that. That That's... might be that may be a little bit of an overstatement. But I'm your host, Ray Gerard, with me today in studio, Mr. Bob Hennigas. Bob, welcome back. Yeah, thank you very much. I uh, I've never been called anything close to dynamic, so I, I like that even if it's just part of the duo. Even half of a duo. Even half of a duo, <laughs> I'm in. There you go. So this is St. Paul's Letters to America. This is the program that asks, what if St. Paul were alive today, boy, would he have a few things to tell us. So, but, um, you know, can we, uh, can we dare to project uh, or guess what it is that he would tell us? Well, guess what? On this program, we dare. Uh, because we're dynamic. But anyways, we dare. Um, and the reason why we can dare with confidence is because St. Paul wouldn't change what he said 2,000 years ago uh, if he was talking to us today. It would be the same thing. And why would that be? Well, for a very simple reason. He spoke the truth, and the truth is the truth. It does not change. Amen. So, well, thank you. That was very dynamic. Um, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, today is sort of like, a, I guess, a little bit of a, of a hodgepodge. We've got... Four stories. Now, a lot of times we deal with, um, you know, a, lot, a bunch of different stories, but they're all, you know, of the same, you know, sort. They're all like, you know, you know, some instance where, you know, courts are telling, you know, people, you know, well, you don't have the freedom of religion you thought you have or, or there, there's some kind of a common theme. Well, today we've got four stories and they all seem very different, but we're going to try to still uh, disclose and uh, discern and, and find a common theme in them, and we think and we think we can. So this is what we're going to do, and we're going to start as we always do with the words of Saint Paul, words that he would write to the Americans, and he would tell us if there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit. Any compassion and mercy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. So it's a beautiful sentiment. Do nothing for yourself, but live simply, always, for for others. And you know, he says, everyone for those of others. He wants everyone to live for those, you know, for the interests of others. And if we all did that, boy, you know, what kind of a place this would be. But how does he get there? How does he get there? He starts. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any encouragement in Christ, what, where would we be? If we didn't have Christ, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't our situation be bleak? Wouldn't we be prone to depression? I mean, if we were to think that there's no life after this one, if we were to think that there is no all-powerful God who loves us with a passion that we can't even hope to imagine to the smallest fraction of a degree— uh, where would we be, you know, if, if there wasn't if there wasn't that to, to hold us together? He almost, talks about almost disastrous, Ray. I, for myself, with God, with me, every moment of every day, and if I reach out, He is there all the time. And even with God, with training, with everything I've been given, I still struggle to live this life. It's a difficult <laughs> life. Now. Do it without pull, him. Pull out, pull out God out of the equation, and I'm a complete basket case, right? I'm, I'm, I'm zip. I'm nada. 
um, I don't make it through. I stumble and fall and, and, you know, laying in a ditch someplace. It is only with God that, that we can truly be happy and, and truly do what St. Paul is talking about. Yeah. And where does, where does this encouragement in Christ lead you? Well, he talks about love, and he talks about mercy, compassion for other people. That's where it leads you. And so taking the last part of, of this reading where he talks about, you know, doing everything for everybody else, taking the first part where he talks about, you know, being encouraged with Christ, what's in the middle? He talks about people being united in heart. He wants everybody to take the encouragement from Christ. He wants everybody to be compassionate towards, to think all, to live for others. And how, how, is it, how is it possible that we could have any kind of a community, a country, a world where everybody does that? Well, you got to be united. You got to be united. And so that's his message. And the topic for the program, however, the, topic, the, the title, rather, for this program, one that I came up with as I was thinking about this program is, and it just sort of came to me at one point as I was thinking about these four stories, united in unbelief. There are four, just several, you know, four stories that that, that just, you know, were, were just stories. I mean, they, they, these are type, they, they're not all that different, you know, from, from other stories. I mean, they're the types of things that happen every week. A lot of them even go without kind of notice. Um, and it's just indicative of our times. And what can we, you know, what can we learn from them? What can we, you know, if we're looking around trying to see the forest and not just the trees, you know, what can we see? And, uh, and is it not helpful to understand the truth of that forest, even if that truth isn't pleasant? It has to be. It has to be. If you just simply, you know, close your eyes to things, uh, only only bad is is going to come from that, and so looking at these things uh, from hopefully an objective perspective, we have the title "United in Unbelief." So let's see what we're talking about. First one is a case that comes out of Vermont. Uh, it is 2018. There's a nurse working in a hospital, and she. Uh, she has been on a list of people for years, for many years, she's been on a list of people who have stated a religious belief that, uh, would, that prevents her from serving an abortion. She has made it known that she never wants to be part of an abortion procedure. That is something that, you know, would, would affect her. I mean, that would cut her to, you know, her, her very soul. She now, doesn't want to do that. Should she be allowed that liberty? Should she be forced? Should she not have the right to say that? If there are other nurses who are okay with assisting with an abortion and they're available, then shouldn't she be allowed this liberty? Is her desire never to participate, her decision never to participate in an abortion. Um, is that something we take lightly? Is that something that relates to perhaps whether or not she goes to heaven or hell? Does she believe in heaven or hell? Does she believe in a God and a devil? Does she believe that if she, you know, helps, you know, kill a person that she's doing the devil's work? Is that something that, you know, goes, I mean, would consume her whole body, mind, soul? I mean, would it be something that would fill her with horror and dread? And if it does, would it be torture to force her to do that? Here in this country, should somebody be allowed not to have to go through that kind of mental torture? I don't know to what, ex you know, to what extent this belief um, consumes her. I don't know if mental torture is an exaggeration, perhaps not. But that's, you know, the, the, the particular circumstances with regard, you know, to the, the mind of this woman don't really matter. It's whether or not as a society, there are, because what matters is the fact that for some people it could be mental torture. Maybe it was for this particular woman, but for some people it could be. So do we want to get to the point as a society where even though we don't have to, we're going to put somebody through 
mental torture. What kind of people are we? When you think about from a business standpoint, Ray, what this would mean. I mean, I was in businesses, ran a business, tried to decide how to do that. What it would mean if if an employee came and said, I don't want to be involved in X, when there's a whole lot of other things going on besides X, right? The number of abortions is a small number compared to most hospitals and the places where, uh, where this might occur. And so it's pretty small. You have somebody that's working logistics and has to go through and decide, is somebody capable? Do they have the training? Are they able to do this job? And then if you added to that, no, they don't want to do this job because of religious reasons, that would seem like one more small check that you put on your Excel spreadsheet and say, okay, they're, they're not going there. Be Just like they're not trained for this, they are not interested in doing this job. That's a pretty minor thing to figure out how to do that and something that I'm sure a hospital has to do all the time, all businesses have to do. So I don't see the point in forcing somebody and shoving them that direction because the amount of difficulty is small compared to, as you mentioned, how it would, uh, how would affect someone's psyche. Well, those are rational uh, you know, considerations. Those are rational considerations. Abortion is uh, far from being something that is, is regulated solely by you know, rational thinking. I mean, it's a very hot emotional issue. And there's more to this story than we've so far related um, here's what happened to this woman. She was told she was needed to participate in a surgical procedure, and it was to uh, assist uh, with a baby that had miscarried. This baby was, was already dead, and she was supposed to assist with that. They lied to her. The people that she worked with, her coworkers, lied to her. So... How would you now? We talked about the mental torture, the idea if someone really believes this is a life, if someone really believes this is killing a life, if someone really believes this is a horrible mortal sin of the worst order that you will never be able to remove from your soul, that will that'll affect perhaps your salvation for eternity. If all of that is wound up in this, then how huge is that? But then throw on top of that the idea that you can't trust the people that you work with, people that you've known, you know, presumably for years. I, mean, I you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it, and as you say, Bob, if you could easily put this people, put this person into other job functions. I mean, we have federal law that says if someone has a disability, you have to accommodate them. So, you know, whether or not, you, you know, if you, if you walk with a limp, you have a disability, whatever, if mental disability, whatever kind of disability, we accommodate them. Hey. But if you're afraid that you're going to go to hell, if you do that, we won't accommodate. Well, the, the services do this all the time. You have the conscientious objector. And if you are drafted into the service, but say I cannot be on the lines killing anyone, that I, that's the same thing. The service will put you in another position. They will keep you from having to kill somebody else if you truly feel that that's against your belief, sure. against your religion. Yeah. Why would you not do that? If the service well, can do that in the business of actually defending and killing people, why can a nurse not right. be put in that same right. position? Right. Crazy. So they lied to her. She started to assist with this procedure, discovered it was not a miscarriage, that this was an elective abortion. And she objected, and then they proceeded to pressure her. I don't know what the threats were, but they pressured her into staying. I think... I think I remember you know, coming across this story when it came up before, and they basically said, you know, that you're going to put this, this, this woman's health at risk because we're in the middle of the surgical procedure and so on and so forth. And I don't know if they threatened her with a job or what have you. Anyways, uh, this was, according to the Department of Justice in 2018, a violation of federal law, and they began a court proceeding against the University of Vermont because the University of Vermont knew this 
and caused or participated or allowed this to happen. Well, the Department of Justice today decided to drop that court case. And, you know, this may be something that it just passes under the radar. Nobody hears anything about it. They just decided this isn't important. We're not going to pursue this. What does that mean? Is that a small decision? Here you've got a woman, and she's been victimized. She arguably put through mental torture. It should be something that we don't allow in this country. Now she's got nobody to stand up for her. There's no recourse. She's been um, brutalized. And what? Get used to it? The Department of Justice has made a decision. This is okay. Coercion, deceit, uh, flagrant violations of someone's deeply held beliefs in this country, that's okay. And why did these people, let's, I mean, this is going to be speculation, but why would these people lie to her? They knew that she was an objector. They knew there were other people available. Why did they lie to her? Why did they want her in on this procedure? Was it spite? Was it we're not going to allow you to, do, to, to, to be this way? We're going to force you. We control you. We dictate to you. And so now the Department of Justice says in this country, yeah, that's justice. So that's case number one. So that's in, in terms of a social issue. The issue, you know, the, the, in terms of a constitutional issue, in terms of a national issue, that, you know, if you frame it in secular terms, that's freedom of religion. That's freedom. It should people have freedom? Well, here's another one. Um, there's a woman who designs websites. Her company is called 303 Creative. Uh, she uh, is, believes in uh, that a man and a woman um, are... You know, a man and a woman are they're the traditional, normal way of, of having uh, a married married life. And she firmly believes that she's being called by God to web to do website work that celebrates his design for marriage. The Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, Federal Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, one just one step below the United States Supreme Court, has ruled she can't do that. Um, they've ruled that she must design, uh, do website work uh, for people uh, who are same-sex couples. So she wants to have her own business. She wants, I mean, you, you, let's say you decide you're going to form a church, a Protestant and evangelical church, whatever kind of church, you file for your 501c3 status, you rent, you rent some building space, you start to attract people, you're running a business, um, I mean, can't you run a business that says, hey, you know, we're going to preach this particular you know, type of beliefs? Can't, aren't we allowed to do that? Because if you can tell somebody that she's going to have a business and she wants it to be a business with, which has a religious kind of a flavor to it, a religious theme, but she can't do that, how far removed are we from the government coming in and saying, well, this is the kind of church you have to have. We have a thing called the Establishment Clause. There is no establishment in this country of religion. The government can't do that. Well, the Tenth Circuit disagrees with the Constitution. It's no, uh, you know, no more complicated than that. That is what the Tenth Circuit has decided to do. Uh, there's a, uh, a judge on this uh, circuit court to the name of Timothy uh, Timkovich, and he dissented. He called the decision unprecedented, warning of a brave new world, a la, a la Aldous Huxley. Um, and he said it could regulate the work of all artists, if taken to its logical end. I would disagree. I think it could take into its logical end, regulate the work of all pastors, of all, all churches. The majority wrote... Um, about uh, discriminating against same-sex marriage was a de facto discrimination against same-sex couples. So in other words, the idea 
This woman has not even started business yet. She has not refused service to any people yet. This case was decided about whether or not she should be allowed to have her idea. Um, and, they, and the court said discriminating. And isn't that, they use the word discriminating against same-sex marriage. This is a concept. This is an idea. This is a belief. Discriminating. How do you discriminate against an idea? That in and of itself is your Freudian slip. Isn't that your admission of exactly the way this court thinks? You are not allowed to have certain ideas. If you do, you're guilty of discrimination. You're guilty of having the wrong ideas. Um, because that's the same as discriminating against people. You discriminate against an idea that other people have, and you discriminate against those people. That's a U.S. Federal Circuit Court saying you don't have the freedom to think. What about if you have certain ideas but then don't act on them, and only when you act on them then you commit something that society has to step in for? According to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, that's not true anymore. We're, this is why the dissenting justice said this was unprecedented. We are going into territory we have never gone into before. They blatantly said discriminating, interesting choice of, of words, against an idea is now illegal. That's fascism. That's nothing less than fascism. That is not the United States of America. That is the same as any other country that's ever had a tyrannical governing body. Well, what's it, not being a lawyer, being an engineer and a teacher and educator, what is the difference between disagreeing with something, with an idea, and discerning against it? I mean, are, are we not allowed to disagree with the way somebody thinks anymore? Is that completely wrong? And are we regulated to agree because we put ourselves out in a business world, we are required to agree with whatever it is and provide service, whatever it is, even if we completely disagree. That seems ridiculously dangerous, does it not? Oh, it's incredibly, it's incredibly dangerous. Um, the court even went so far as to say that a, quote, pro-LGBT gerrymander is likely inevitable, close quote. In other words, they said... Um, well, they said that basically the, the people that were appealing this case have shown a of rigging, um, you know, a, a, a rigging of the rules that favored LGBT consumers, as opposed to a gerrymander disfavoring religious speakers. So, uh, you know, they they, they said that they um, uh, said basically that it's inevitable that you're going to have a pro-LGBT gerrymander based on this law in Colorado of, that you can't discriminate against people. So, you know, um, they're saying that there's, there's, there's a pro-LGBT gerrymander involved in this anti-discrimination law, but not an anti-religious gerrymander. Um, they're, they're elevating one gerrymandering, if you want to call it, over another. They're saying it's okay to be pro-LGBT. And at the same time, we're not going to acknowledge that there's an anti-religious aspect to this. One trumps the other. One is more important than the other. One set of ideas is more important than the They're basically saying we get to to decide that one's right and one's wrong. And your ideas are wrong. These are courts. These are legis this is a, a law passed by a legislature and now a court, a court uh, you know, validating that law based on this argument that one set of ideas is better than another. That's why this is unprecedented.
Seems unbelievable to me. Oh, it's I, a, now this has been going on for some time. I mean, there were there was a baker, if I remember right, who oh the famous masterpiece bake shop case. Yes, did, didn't want to bake a cake for a gay couple, oh, yeah. if I remember yeah, right. right. So um, this is just another example, right? Okay, very yeah. similar in, in so, step. Yeah, yeah, right? but but the the reasoning's going farther. The 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 cake masterpiece cake uh, shop case was decided on finding that the authorities in Colorado had a bias against this person. And they looked at the actions of the authorities and how they prosecuted the case and what they did and, and so forth. And so it was, it was a case that was decided on the fact that the uh, government officials in Colorado acted properly. They took actual activities by these people and judged those to be wrong. This case is different. You're taking that earlier precedent and now expanding on it. So now where a court doesn't even have any shame in declaring we can tell you your, what your ideas should be. Wow. We're going to mandate. And so they said you have to um, design, design websites for LGBT purposes. You, don't ha- you, have to, you have to speak in a certain fashion. When you write the words that are going to appear on a website, that's speech. Well, you have to write them in this fashion. The constitutional concept of freedom of speech now has been overruled by a court. It's incredible. It's incredible. You have to speak this way. You have to design a website this way. You have freedom of speech? No, you don't. Um, okay, here's another. Yeah, See, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say it seems very far-reaching. I, I had no idea as we, uh, as we chatted about this case that it would be this far-reaching and allow people to begin to tell others what to think. I thought it was more like the cake issue. I, I did not make the realization that we're actually telling someone what they may state and what they may think. And so if you disagree, right, if, if you feel another way, you're not allowed to state that. You're not allowed to run your business that way. The government is now telling you how you must run your business and it seems amazing to me. You have a federal court of appeals that says to think this way, to justify, you know, forcing somebody to act based on these reasons is okay. They are blatantly admitting thought, let's use their word, discrimination. They are engaged in thought discrimination. A federal circuit court of appeals. Uh, Now... What I, what's next? Well, we had an interesting sort of a thing. There's a, some kind of a conservative media pundit, and uh, he decided to take a camera to a beach in San Diego and asked people to sign a petition. It was a fake petition, but they didn't know that. And it was a petition to put people in jail who would not get vaccinated, to put them in jail, to make it a crime. And what do you think he found? Um, well, some people, some people said, no, you can't do that. Other people said, oh, yeah. Most people said, oh, yeah. One person said, um, drastic measures need to be taken. Uh, these uh, people can think about what they've done when they're sitting in jail. Um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, the interviewer said to somebody, I don't want to hear any of this my body, my choice stuff in today's new world order. We're going to put this right. We're going to put things right. And people agreed with that. My body, my choice. We have had abortion in this country for 50 years based on that idea. And that idea was used to justify when you have the body of a woman and a body inside her body of a child. And that argument was strong enough to, con- to allow a woman to make a decision not only for her own body, but for a person inside her. That argument was so strong, that principle was, was so important, my body, my choice, that it allowed even that. But here, when the question is simply your own body, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Uh, people will say, well, it's necessary to, to, to prevent the spread of the disease. But, of course, there are lots of other arguments against that. 
If people catch the disease, there are medications that have proved very effective. You may have people that have already had the disease and have antibodies without needing to have some vaccine. Um, you may have somebody who, oh, there's this um, nervous disorder, I just was reading a case about this person, but, uh, you know, whose doctors have told them, um, you know, like there's a person who uh, experienced paralysis from getting a vaccine once before, and doctor told them, you suffer from this nervous disorder, Glenn Berry, I forget the name of it, um, and so this is too dangerous for you to take this. And there's a university, there's a person who had this condition, and the university simply said, no, we're not making any exceptions. You have to take this vaccine. So, you know, there could be, there could be certainly cases where people have good reasons not to take the vaccine. We need to put them in jail. You don't have the right to control your body. Now, the Fourth Amendment, again, I don't know, but it's this thing called the Constitution. It used to be something that we paid attention to. The Fourth Amendment protects, quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons. That's how it starts out. Um, the right of the people to be secure in their persons. You can't throw people in jail. They, they have the right to their body. You can't take their body. You can't take them and throw them in jail unless you go, th unless they're guilty of a crime, it gets proven, you, 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 know, you prove it, you can gather evidence in the proper fashion. I mean, you just can't go throwing people in jail because you feel like it. There are governments that do that. And they've, they've been the ones that our country was formed as a counteraction to. Um, now, you don't have the right to control your own body. And if, and yes, we can throw you in jail. We're going to tell you what you're going to do with your own body. And if you don't agree, then we're going to take that body of yours and we are going to throw it in jail. This is the way people are thinking today. And, and where, does, where does that stop, Ray? So if you smoke cigarettes, which obviously seems like a, 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 a very simple thing, it's wrong in every way. I mean, you enjoy it while it's happening, right? I know that I smoke cigars and I've smoked a pipe and smoked cigarettes for a period of time. And certainly it was stress relieving. It was relaxing. But for my body, for the nicotine and everything else that I was putting in, that's why I quit. It's not good at all. So can we start saying to people, well, if it's good to prevent the vaccine, you've got to get that. And by the way, that secondhand smoke, which is so bad, we're not going to let you smoke anymore. And by the way, sugar is horrible for you. Sorry, no more ice cream or candy or you, you can't have that stuff, for goodness sakes. You're going to be heavy. You're going to end up in the hospital with heart problems, and I don't want to pay for that. Uh, therefore, you're not allowed to eat those things either. I mean, how far do you go when you start saying, well, I'm nothing, going to tell you? There's nothing to stop you. Because if the, if the reason is that it's for the good of society, then there is nothing to stop you from saying you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do that. That's why the that's why yes, ideas are important. Um, all right, the fourth item. Probably heard about this one. Uh, there has been a moratorium that was imposed in the past on landlords being able to throw tenants out. You can't evict your tenant for non-payment of rent, and it was because of the the pandemic, and it was it was a time of an emergency. Well. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, the Centers for Disease Control, extended the moratorium. Now, <laughs> what does a health agency, a medical agency, have to do with the rights of landlords and tenants? I don't, the, the connection is, you know, extenuated at best. Now, even further, this is, gets even more interesting. The president of the United States said, we can't find any legal authority to do this. Why? Because the U.S. Supreme Court already ruled on the moratorium that had been put in place um, and said it cannot be extended. There is no authority to extend it unless the Congress passes the law. And, of course, that's true. The moratorium – I mean, for, for – for a president to say, landlords, you can't do this, where does he get the right to do it? He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the right to do it. 
Congress passes laws, and this says, you know, and 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 the Congress would, and even if the Congress passed the law that said this, there could still be a constitutional challenge to that. But for a president to do it, how about for a president to say, well, we know we don't have the legal authority to do it, but I'm going to let my agency do it anyway. Now you've entered a realm where we're very open that the law doesn't matter. The highest law enforcement officer in the country says, I will ignore the law. I will ignore a decision of the U.S. Supreme Court. We did that early on in our history. There's a famous case of Marbury versus Madison, where in the very early years of this country, the court said, no, we decide what the law is. We've followed that ever since. Now the court, you've got a, you've got a president telling the highest court, it doesn't, you don't matter. Well, and if that happens, what's to stop him? Then you're, you're, you're no different than that guy, you know, North Korea, the, the dictator of North Korea. If he can decide what the law is, why do we even have a Supreme Court? This is so dangerous. So this violates, you're talking about the Fifth Amendment. Again, going back to this Constitution, no person, it says, the Fifth Amendment, no person shall be de deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Okay, first off, you need Congress to pass. Due process would mean in the first place the Congress passes a law. Uh, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. No person deprived of property. You have that right. You have that right. Um, so, what have we got here? We've got four kind of different cases, each touching on different legal principles, different rights that have been protected. Now, could you find religious bases for these same rights that um, you know have been protected in the past? And if, in fact, you can find good societal constitutional, legal uh, arguments for these rights, like freedom of religion, freedom of speech, the right to be protected, secure in your person, um, and uh, the right to, not to be deprived of property without due process of law. If we can look at these legal, secular, uh, simple, you know, human reasons why these are good for a society, and then we find, guess what? They also agree, they're completely consistent with certain religious principles. And if these religious principles were ones that, for example, were followed by St. Paul, wouldn't we be right in thinking, you know what? Maybe there's a truth here. Maybe there's a truth and you can see it both from a secular and from a religious basis. And maybe there is that truth and we should not ignore it. And if we do, then we're living against truth. So, what about the University of Vermont case? It's the protection of life, right? Life, life itself. Um, and from a religious perspective, that comes from God. And so, you can, from a secular perspective, yeah, it's not good to, to kill. It's good to love people to have freedom to decide. Even if society says, well, this isn't killing, at least allow people to decide for themselves. I don't want to participate in what I think is killing. Why should we force people to participate in something they think is killing? Um, what about uh, the 303 creative case, the one with the websites? Maybe she believes in a divine order that there is an order of things, that God, create, that God did create man and woman, and that, there is, that he has a plan. And that no matter what your sexual preferences are, he loves everybody. But maybe there's still an order for how he wants people to live. And even if you don't live according to that order, he still loves you, but that for most of his people, he wants them to follow this order. Um, he, um, he, he laid that out, Christ did, very carefully. He did. 
And if you think of the woman who was caught in adultery and was brought before him, they wanted to stone her. And he played in the dirt. And then they asked him what's going on. And he said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he bent down and played in the, in the dirt a little bit again. And everybody disappeared. And in, when the woman said, do you not convict me? Do you not convict me of this? He said, no, go off and sin no more. I do not hold convict you. And to me, that's exactly what we're talking about, Ray. You want to be loving. You want to be kind. But you want not to sin any further. You want to try to do the right things. And we've got to get to that point where we want people to know what right and wrong is from the perspective of God. We've got to tell them that and let them know and have the opportunity to express that. It seems like in these cases, we're taking that away. We're taking from us the ability to express ourselves and to truly believe in God. Somehow they're trying to pull religious freedom away from us, it seems, in these cases. Well, it's funny, but in all these cases, what's, what's, there is a common theme, and there's a theme that runs against allowing uh, it's against religious principles, and it's against people who have religious principles. That's that's something that connects all of this. And we can see that in the next one, the third case. What about the, the people who signed the petition, put people in jail? Well, there's a clear religious principle there, free will. Everybody has the, decide, the, the right to decide things for themselves, to live as they want. And what's the religious rationale for that? Well, because you were created by God. God created you. And if God created you, then every person, no person is any better than any other person. And so no person has the right to control any other person because you you're not higher than that other one. You're all equal. Well, no, not now. If you don't, don't want to do what we say, then we throw you in jail. Um, very dangerous type of thinking. What about the moratorium? moratorium. Even without law, we're going to tell you, you know, you have to lose money. You cannot evict people. Uh, there's public assistance things out there and so forth, um, you know, but it doesn't matter. You, the landlord, you don't have to pay for this person. I mean, if there's public assistance then and society decides, if, hey, if somebody can't afford to pay rent, you know, we'll give them welfare, we'll give them, you know, we'll, we'll do this, we'll do that. Uh, but to say to a landlord, to one particular person, you have to pay for this person. Um, what gives you the right to do that? It's a denial of pri- it's it's nothing less than a denial of private property. These people, are, and it's it's an outright loss of, of property. People are going to lose their properties. Um, there are a lot of landlords that complain about this. They've lost lots of money, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, and and they're going to end up not being able to pay their mortgages because the banks. There's no moratorium on the banks. The banks are going to foreclose because they don't have the income. They don't have the rents. They're going to lose their property. They may have worked for it for years, and now they're going to lose it. It's the it's the classical example of taking property from somebody with, without, uh, without just compensation. That's that constitutional principle again. Um, um, you know, so it's, it, is, it, is, um, it is a denial of the right to private property. We have denials. And, and property from religious context is important. What is it? It's the fruit of your labor. Everybody's different. Everybody has different skills. Everybody has different talents. Well, you use those talents, and then you acquire property. It's it's something that that that, that you've helped to do uh, to to make happen. And now we're going to take that away. So, using your skills, using your talents, you now you you don't you know you don't get a reward for that. Um, so now people aren't going to use those skills and talents. We're going to clamp down on people, you know, doing what they can do using these these gifts that they have from God. Now, of course, from a religious perspective, what you need to do, if you're lucky enough to be able to be successful and acquire some wealth, is then, um, you know, give a good amount of it to charity, or to, uh, you know, to use it for other people, to use it for the benefit of others. But that's your personal decision. And that's what we should encourage. And what does that do when you give from charity? 
Well, now you've done a good thing for other people. You extend love to other people. They feel the love in return. You use your gifts, you know, to help others. And I mean, now that will go. Charity, these exp- these opportunities for expressions of love, these opportunities to give glory to God by doing using the gifts that you have. These are all, you know, the, the, there's a common thread here, and it's anti-religious down the line. There's an interesting uh, survey that, that came out recently, and it looked at it looked at uh, people's belief. There's lots of surveys about how much people believe in God. Well, one came out uh, recently, and uh, they found that 26% of uh, Gen Xers, so people born between 1965 and 1983, 26% of them, and 16% of millennials, so millennials, you know, people born uh, between 1984 and 2002, um, 26% of Gen Xers, 16% of millennials believe that when they die, they will go to heaven. They don't believe in an afterlife. Um, 26% of Gen Xers believes that there's a heaven. 16% of millennials believe that there's a heaven. 84% of millennials don't believe in the heaven, at least according to this survey. The generation before them, instead of 26 and 16, it was half of the population. And even that's a problem. Even that's a low number. But now you're getting down to the territory where You've got one in five, one in ten who believe in heaven, and that's all. Um, staggering 19%, uh, excuse me, a staggering 90% uh, of builders. Builders are uh, people that were born 1927 to 1945. 90% of people born then believe that you treat others as you want to be treated, the golden rule. And excuse me, that reading from Paul that we started out with said, think not of yourself, but of others. Think of them first. Well, people born 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 90% of them believed in that. Um, the numbers now, uh, da, 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 uh, less than half of millennials agree. Less than half. Less, less than half. So more than half believe the opposite, that you can treat others worse than yourself, the exact opposite of what Paul preached. And why is it that you can tell people, you've got to get a vaccine, you've got to participate in an abortion, you've got to make a website the way we want you to make it, you've got to go to jail if you don't get the vaccine, you know, you've got to... Uh, you know, keep people even though they're not paying you rent. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You know, we're telling people what the, we're not treating people the way we'd want to be treated. I mean, would you want somebody to tell you, um, you have to do this to your body, and if you don't, you're going to, I mean, this is what, this is not a coincidence. This is not a coincidence. Less people believe in a heaven, Less people believe in treating others the way St. Paul tells us we should treat others. There is a decline in religious beliefs. There's a decline in respect for the law and these rights that we've cherished and honored under our laws since this country was formed. And these laws protect people. These laws say you can do this. You, you know, we respect your right to this. You have this freedom. They're going away. They're going away. This is not a, there's, this is not a coincidence. There is a, a, co, a, co, a coalescence here. As these religious beliefs are going down, the compassion that we have for other people, the respect we have for other people, the degree to which we're going to allow other people to do what they want, it's all going down. It's a, it's a real change, right? From letting people make their own choices, letting people do the right thing, to I'm smarter than you. I can tell you what to do. I run this country or this state or this government. And therefore, 
I don't have to worry about the legislature passing laws. I'm so much better as an executive, I get to decide those, and I don't care what the Supreme Court. I mean, our forefathers were brilliant. They put in a perfect system, a three-headed boss, each having checks and balances on the other, so that no one could become too powerful. That was something they worried about. That was the supreme issue they worried about. And now we're getting to the fact, or to the point, where presidents and governors and city officials are making decisions where they're enacting laws. They're basically signing a pen and deciding what to do instead of letting the legislature bring these forth and letting the courts decide whether they're legal or not. We are in a dangerous precedent of telling people what we think because we happen to have some power instead of what Christ told us and St. Paul told us, which is you don't hold power over people's heads. You take care of them. Your job as a powerful person is to worry about those around you, to take care of those so that they're all better off tomorrow than we started today. As opposed to I'm worried about myself, I'm going to tell everybody what to do. Huge change. Huge, and those, huge change. Huge you, you, those, those numbers that you talked about are just part of that. We are losing the perspective that our goal is to make others better every moment of every day and bring us up together as opposed to just fending for ourselves. We're closing in on anarchy where we all get to decide for ourselves how things should run as opposed to taking care of each other. And our God and our Constitution, we're both, both believe that and we're moving away from that. Most, most disappointing. Well, the good news is, of course, we can move back because, <laughs> right. and he'll be there waiting for us when we do. Yep. So uh, we hope that uh, this has been a little provocative or a little interesting. Uh, we hope uh, that uh, you know, you'll join us again for another discussion. And until then, we're going to leave you with a prayer, and we're going to ask Bob to help us with that one more time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the, the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodwill. Thank you for the spirit of trying to take care of others. It is obvious to all of us who read of your son on the earth in the scriptures know that that's what he believed. He fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. He put his body out as a sacrifice to die for others. That's what you, Father, believe, and that's what you sent your son to do. Allow us to look past our own desires, greed, all the things we want, and to look out for what we can do for others, to help others, because each one of those others, all those folks that are struggling or downtrodden or having a difficult time, those are people you love. Allow us to take that love and to spread it with all we have across all that need and desire and allow us always to love one another, not to judge one another, but to love one another and to take care of one another and to watch over each other and do your will while we're here on earth. We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of that Son that arrived to save us some 2,000 years ago and bring us to you into heaven, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, uh, dear listener, for joining us. Uh, Until next time, God bless.